You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. If that's what you want to do, you know, just go and do it and see what the outcome is. Right, right, be. right. Not, that's what they, they, not on my watch. That's right. what it is. Exactly. Yeah, we, we ain't lying none of that. So, you know, we ain't saying prison has to be friendly. Right. But at the same time, you're not going to take advantage of these right. young black men in prison. So, basically, that's exactly how my time started, how it went, and... It, and so you did that for how many years? In 13 years. 13 years. Yes, yeah, I did that for 13 and years. And obviously we see you sitting here, so right. we know that you did go back. So tell right. us about the, like, what, so I guess you had a lawyer right. that, or someone you reached out. So we, Well, basically what happened was I'm sitting in prison, and the best thing in Dallas County history, or Texas history, happened. Dallas County elected the first African-American district attorney in the state of Texas history. Mm-hmm. He broke the barrier. It was not a African-American dish head DA mm-hmm. in Texas until Craig Watkins won. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting in my in the day room watching it on TV because we like, this dude is not going to win. Right. That's Rick Henry. Yeah, right. Rick. <laughs> right. He's not going to win. And then when we saw him win, the, the prison erupted like we won a prison Super Bowl right. <laughs> because we felt like now we have someone in position that can that, help us that knows the struggle of being an African-American man in the court system. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he said is going to be some changes made. Mm-hmm. For anybody that's looking to get their cases overturned via DNA, send them to me. Right. And... I was like, man, this dude seemed like he for real. Mm-hmm. So now I'm sitting down. Next thing you know, it's like three months past, four months past. I didn't seen at least eight people from the prison I was on get exonerated through this DA mm-hmm. and this same attorney, same prosecutor, because they came up with a unit called the CIU. Okay. It's called Conviction Integrity Unit. They only work on wrongful conviction cases mm-hmm. but at the time they didn't do non-dna cases because my case was a non-dna case mm-hmm. my case was the first non-dna case to ever get exonerated. And what year was this whenever when he, you started with this pro- like from the time when you did reach out to them how long what year were you or how long had you started? well i didn't even reach out to him okay what what had happened was he ran across the case. Oh, okay. And when my co-defendant, Claude, wrote the DA office, mm. and they weren't really paying attention to it. And and Claude got capital murder, murder too. too. Okay. So when when I first when when I actually thought that I may get a chance, Lonzo Hardy was incarcerated with my brother. Mm. Lonzo Hardy didn't know this guy was my brother. My brother worked in the officer's barbershop. We had a prison barbershop. Don't you know Alonzo Hardy went into the prison barbershop, sit in my brother's chair, and told him about the case him and D-Mike did. He said, hey man, me and my friend robbed and killed a Hispanic drug dealer, and there's two guys in prison for their case. My brother was like, what? Right, right, right. He was like, wait a minute. He was like, that sounds something like my little brother case. He said, so tell me the guy that's locked up for you. He said, oh, man, I know everything about it. His name is Christopher Scott. He got two kids. He got two boys. 
He drive a forest green and gold Lexus. His girlfriend named Brenda Simmons. He work at the local grocery store, Tom Thumb, as a produce supervisor. My brother say, look, that's my little brother. He was like, nah. He was like, yeah. My little brother. Right, you about to get it. Yeah, he said, what I'm going to do, you got to come to the rec yard, I'm going to show you a picture of my little brother, and you'll see that I'm telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And he went to the rec yard, my brother showed him a picture. He was like, yeah, that's Christopher Scott who's in prison for the crime I committed. So my brother was like, you already know what you got to do. Every day you in prison, going to be a living hell for you. Make your choice. He said, man, I've been wanting to do it, but I really want to do it now. We sent it to our DA which was a white racist DA. He had been our DA for 37 years, Henry Wade. That man looked at that affidavit and told me, don't ever write this office again because this case is closed, it's over. We would never exonerate anybody without any DNA. Because at that time, if it wasn't about DNA, it wasn't about anything. They weren't trying to hear it. So when it came back to me, the letter, and when I read it, I wasn't even mad about it because I was like, look, cops testified in my behalf mm-hmm. and they didn't believe him. So what makes you think they're going to believe a dolphin? Right. So make it make sense. So right. I wasn't even too mad about it because I knew what the outcome was mm-hmm. actually going to be. But when Craig Watkins got elected and now I'm seeing my next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. Y'all living right next door to you me. You got a little hope. Exactly. I heard you say that on a documentary. Right. Like yeah. you have to have, have hope. hope. For sure, you have to have hope. So when you seeing these same people exonerating all of these men, you thinking maybe my chance. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have a chance. Right. But every innocent project telling you we can't do nothing for you because there's no DNA. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, well, what can a guy with no DNA do? They say it's two things new discovered evidence, or somebody has to come forward and confess. But Alonzo confessed seven years ago. Right. And nothing happened, and I'm still in prison. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, uh, Craig walks my case, Craig Watkins, walks my case to the University of Texas of Arlington, UTA undergraduate class. Mm-hmm. Gave my case to an undergraduate student, and she helped me get out of prison. She was 11th grader at UTA, University wow. of Texas of Arlington. And the crazy part about it, she came to see me. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me so much of the hurricane with Denzel. Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it, it was the it was if the guy didn't read right, his book, he right, would have. It was him. Yeah, yeah. He never did it. Mm-hmm. And the, the the student came to see me, and they were like, "You got a legal visit." I'm like, "Okay, cool. You get legal visit sometimes. People playing like they want to help you." And I walk in, I see this little white girl, spiky hair, motorcycle jacket on. And I'm like, what you want? <laughs> like, who are you? Right. She said, well, my name is Esmeralda. <laughs> I'm from UTA, you know, uh, mm-hmm. undergraduate law class. And what I want you to do is confess to this crime. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Confess to what? And she said, like, Claude Simmons has been locked up for 13 years. And we know he didn't do it. We just need you to do the right thing. Right. And I'm like, the right thing for me to do is this. You lead the same way you came. <laughs> because I'm not going to confess to a crime that, that I did not commit. commit. Right. So just lead the same way you came. You know, no worries. And we got up and we was finna walk out. Mm-hmm. But the doors was locked. And I was like, man, I'm beating on the door. She beating on the door. Nobody came. 
it was it, it was all in God's plan. Right. You know what I mean? It was all in His plan, and eventually we just stood there and looked at each other like me and you looking at each mm-hmm. other, like we ready to have a duel off in the Russian days. <laughs> and and she walked back up to me and she said, uh, "Miss Scott, let's have another conversation." I'm mm-hmm. like, "Nah, I'm gonna talk to you, girl, on me." Right. And she was like, nah, I want to really have a conversation with you. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Leave. And then, you know, she got me. She had this puppy dog face on. Mm-hmm. And she like, please mm-hmm. talk to me mm-hmm. again. And I told her, I said, I, wouldn't, I, would, I will talk to you. Mm-hmm. But the only thing you cannot do is ask me to confess to a crime I did commit. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. And... I'm going to tell you the real story. Right, exactly. <laughs> and she said, well, talk to me and tell me about the night mm-hmm. this murder is supposed to happen. We sit there for about two and a half, three hours. Mm-hmm. And when I left, I was like, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's a chance that somebody actually is going to listen to the cries I've cried out for so many years. Right. You didn't see the tears. I was crying on the inside. Mm-hmm. But I felt like God said, I'm not going to let you go until I know your heart is ready. Mm-hmm. So my he knew my heart was ready that I wanted to do what I was doing because I started asking guys in prison, what can we do to help the criminal justice systems to stop allowing them to do mm-hmm. African-American men and women this way in the court building? They're like, man, we got to go to Austin. We got to lobby. Mm-hmm. We got to become lobbyists and go down there and, and testify for laws and bills to be paid. So I'm talking about that, and I'm like, okay, well, the first person they get out, Go make that happen. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I was one of the first person. So, so how did she how did she help you? Like you I know you said so you guys talked for a few hours, right. she was helping Claude, so, she was doing right. this. So she went to talk to you know, Alonzo Hardy mm-hmm. in jail. He told her that he would come back to the polygraph test, he would do a deposition in front of the DA mm-hmm. in the CIU. She went and talked to my family, she went and talked to Claude's family. She put everything together. Mm, she okay. was like that doing that leg work that right, we needed right. because we really didn't have and, nobody. And y'all were yeah, locked up. Exactly. You didn't have access. Exactly. We didn't have access. So she was like, I'm going to make sure all of this happened. And time went by. You know, I hadn't heard anything. And then my mom at the time, may she rest in peace, she had never came to see me. And one day I get a visit. And when I walk in, I see my mom. And she has this look on her face. And I'm like, what you doing down here? You know, mm-hmm. she was like, well, you know, I just want to come see my baby. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. She said, well, here's the deal. And she was like, this is going to be the last time I see my baby in a white uniform. And I'm like, what you mean? So now coming from a mom, you feel like, I can take that to heart. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So my brother was there and she couldn't stand it no more. She had to get up and walk out because she started crying and stuff. So I couldn't cry because I'm like, you know. I don't uh, yeah, you can't walk out. You can't, so, yeah, you can't survive 13 years. Yeah, you can't walk right, out right, today. Right. right. So I'm like, man, like, you know, I'm like, I'm overjoyed, but I'm still not mm-hmm. convinced. Right. That is going to Yeah, because it's like how many times is dangling right, the carrot right, in front of right. the donkey? So my brother was like, man, this is what they was telling us. Like, you get a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. you know, you get annuity, you get all this kind of stuff once you get out. I said, man, I'm not even worried about that. Right. Just get it's me just, on the other side. Me and I'm going to be okay. <laughs> right. And it's crazy. Like, 
I'm sitting in my cell about maybe two weeks later, three weeks later, and I get a letter from the DA office. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm like, whatever's inside of this letter has my life in it. Mm -hmm. And I was scared to open it, but this guard that knew me was like, Scott, what's wrong? And I'm like, man, this letter got my right. life in it. And you know how they left them letters look official. Right, official. Exactly. It got some little gold right. letters yeah. on it and stuff. It got, it, it, it got, script the, and it got stuff. the DA stamp <laughs> on it and everything. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> right. what's happening? So the officer say, look, just stand over there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a minute. Open your letter because you need to open it if that's what you're saying is in it. Right. I'm like, no, this was in here. Mm -hmm. And I had always prayed. Like when I first seen somebody get exonerated. The same white attorney, female, Michelle Moore, mm -hmm. was getting everybody exonerated. And I told myself, man, if I can get this attorney, I believe I probably And she get business, it. too. Yeah. I talked to her. Yeah. She, you could tell she yeah. brought the business. <laughs> and, and I was like, I'll get out of prison mm -hmm. if I get her. And when I opened up that letter and it said, hey, we have a reason to believe that you was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And we have a sign. This attorney, and I looked and seen that name. I, I almost wanted to take out running. Right. So I'm like, now nah, if I take out running, they're going to tackle me like right. I'm playing football. <laughs> right. So I was like, now nah, just calm down. So when I got to my cell block, the officer that knows me, he called down and like, hey, let this inmate in his house. Mm -hmm. Then when I got inside of my house, my cell, I'm saying my house, my cell, I let off the loudest yell that I thought I could let out. Because I was like, man, it may be happening. I right, may be doing free. Right. But the thing that I had to do, if I would have did it 13 years ago, I wouldn't be in this position. Mm -hmm. They told me, the only way you're going to get out of prison, you got to pass a polygraph test. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, I asked for this polygraph test 13 years ago. Right. So why all of a sudden? Mm -hmm. He says, since it's no DNA in your case. Mm -hmm. And the guy came forward to confess to the crime. We need that DNA. We need that polygraph test to go inside with what he said. Mm -hmm. And if that happened, you're a free man. Mm -hmm. When I read that letter, maybe two weeks later, they was coming, bringing me back to Dallas County to take my polygraph test. And if I tell you, you know, you see the movie The Green Mile? Yes. <laughs> so I got to go talk to University of Texas. UTA, all of these people, because my co-defendant, Cloud, University of Texas got him out. Okay. University of UTA and Michelle got me out. See, me and Cloud had different attorneys right. and different schools got us out. Mm -hmm. And they have me shackled. And, you know, the people in the jailhouse, they had been there for like a few weeks. And they was like, why y'all got him shackled like this? This... This dude don't look like no killer, like. Right. And they were like, "Well, looks can be deceiving." Mm -hmm. So this day, the polygraph test don't happen. But I do the deposition, and when I went and told we talked about the deposition, the guy that runs the CIU was the prosecutor, Mike Ware. He said, "I need you to answer these questions." I answered them, and he was like, "You know, we believe you, mm -hmm. but there's other steps you have to take." Right. So I get back to my tank. Maybe two days later, the DA came to see me. He came down to my cell block. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. He said, because if I 
let her give to me and go. Mm -hmm. Everything I built and established is for nothing. Right. He said, you're going to be the first person to ever be exonerated via non-DNA. Mm -hmm. And we got to make sure we're it's doing it right. right. It's right. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything? I said, sir, I didn't have anything to do with it. Didn't even have no knowledge of it. I drove into a crime scene, and I didn't even know it was a crime scene. Right. And I went to jail for Captain Murder for 13 years. He said, you know what? I believe you. He said, in a few days, you're going to take your polygraph test. And that's all up to you. It ain't up to nobody else but you. Mm -hmm. That whole night I stood up, I stayed up, I was praying, but I was like, God know the truth, God know I didn't do it. Right. So he gonna guide me, he gonna make the words come out of my mouth right. that I need to come out of my mouth. And that's exactly what, polygraph took me like six and a half hours to do. It's a beat day. That's a long it's time. It's a, that's what they want to do. Right. They want you to just they, yeah. Like um, yeah. like uh, minister society when they just ask the same question you know, over. You know you know yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So up, eleven a.m. Yeah, yeah, oh okay yeah, so yeah. two a.m. Right. Yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. two a.m. Yeah. Now you know you messed up. Right yeah. right. So it, it was crazy and once we did the polygraph test, I was so nervous. So the man stopped it. He was like, "Look, I need you to calm down." Mm -hmm. He said, "Because a lot is riding on you." Right. He said, if you get out with none DNA, you're going to set a precedent for other men and women that's mm -hmm. in prison. And he told me that. I said, well, let's do it. Calm down, did it. And it's crazy to see him over there marking mm -hmm. your polygraph test. And you wondering, like, I know. That's the part that, because I've seen it done. Right. And, I, and they circle this. Yeah, yeah, and they circle, and yeah. it's like, and the person's like, wait, am I, okay, so yeah. was that a lie? Right, was it right, not? Exactly. Now you start thinking, did I lie or did I not? Yeah, so I was like, oh, my God. He over there marking. <laughs> and, 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 and I used the same guy to do my polygraph tests. Yeah, and, and Jim Holder. And he walked out the room, and I was like, Oh my God, I'm nervous, I'm shaking. And then he went to talk to the people and he came back in and he said, well, Mr. Scott, uh, and he just paused. I'm like, right. what's going on? He <laughs> right. was like, I concur, police chief concur, the head of polygraph department concur, and the DA concur that you was telling the truth. I was like, oh, oh. my God. <laughs> right. Seriously? He was like, yeah. I was like, I already knew I was going to be 10. And he told me, he said, look, to be real with you, mm -hmm. he said, having nobody that I ever tested score as high as you did. He said, dude, I was giving you 13s and 14s, mm -hmm. and my bosses was giving you 16s and 17s. He said, that's unheard of. Mm -hmm. He said, dude. You ain't have nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. No, not. He said, man, I, I'm sorry it happened to you, but now you can have a, you know, you're going to have a better life now. Right. When you get out, you know, just get your life started over again and make sure you do the right thing and don't get in trouble. So did you have another trial after no. all that? Okay, oh. so, all right. So he just gave them the papers? Yeah, okay. Because I couldn't tell from the documentary because right. I, sh I, I saw you came in the courtroom right. and everybody, your yeah, mama yeah, and everybody yeah. was yeah. clapping. Yeah. So yeah. you went from the polygraph to, how did you get to that so point? I, the polygraph test is like, you know, uh, once you do the deposition, mm -hmm. they set the polygraph test up. And 
once you set the polygraph test up, you got to go back to jail. Mm. And it's crazy. Oh, that's got to be the hardest. Oh, that was the, hurt, that oh. was the hardest thing because I'm innocent. Right. But I know I got to go to jail to get booked out. Right. You know what I mean? And get, but it's still, it's like, and, you just yeah, want to be like, don't, yeah, I don't even want to see Just let me go place. home from yeah, here. Right. So it was crazy. Every <laughs> cop that night that was at the crime scene was at my polygraph test. And my attorney was saying they wanted to see you fail. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know why? And I said it. They didn't want to admit that they made a mistake. Right. And she said, that's exactly. So now they lined up like assembly line. So, you know, they want to shake my hand. And when I walked out, I just stopped and looked at him. And, and, and the guy, that's the, uh, he's the uh, he's an investigator in Dallas County now. He was like, look. You don't have to shake nobody hand. Right. Like, what? He like, what's up? You don't know. It's a white guy. Like, see, what's up? I said, man, I'm not shaking clowns hand. Right. And and as I walked by, my but, level of yeah, petty at that, that point, oh, it's up. Uh, my chances, <laughs> yeah. Y'all can kiss right. my, yeah. Yeah. And I walked by and I told him, I was like, look, y'all convicted the wrong man mm -hmm. for thirteen Teen years. Y'all took me away from two kids, was four and five at the time, that needed their father. Mm -hmm. And now, look, 13 years later, here I am again, and I told y'all that night that I was telling the truth, that I was, I did not commit this crime. And all of them, they couldn't do nothing but, like, bend their head and leave. Mm -hmm. And and I go back to the, my, 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 my tank, and, oh, I'm happy. I jump right in the shower. <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm like, man, I'm going to go home. Right. But this is this what pissed me off the most. We cannot release you until we get the person off the street that we're looking for. I'm like, what? I'm like, no. I'm a free man right, right now. Y'all have 13 <laughs> years to find exactly, him. Exactly. <laughs> and they were like, we close to getting him. We know he was, in, he was hiding in Houston mm -hmm. at his brother place. He said, hey, we got his brother place, surveillance. Mm -hmm. I would say in the next few days we'll have him. Because somebody has already said they seen him going in and out the house. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, four days later, my attorney Michelle Moore come up and say, "Today is number. Mm -hmm. It's came. Two days, you'll be a free man. How you feel?" I'm like, "I feel good. Like mm -hmm. I'm ready to go home." Right. And she was like, "What is the first thing that you want to do?" I said, "Listen, the first thing I want to eat is a steak. Ooh. Give me a nice steak." Mm -hmm. But one of the first things I want to do, I want to sit in the bathtub. Mm. I want a bubble bath. Right. I, didn't shower I was for thinking. Thirteen years. I was thinking you were gonna say a bath or go swimming yeah. or a massage I, yeah. or something relaxing yeah. where you could just relax. Oh man. Now we're about somebody coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. I was like, man, I want to take a bath. Mm -hmm. I want to put some bubble baths above. Any, I just want to sit back and relax. Like they said, cow gun take me away. Right. I just want my soul to be freed again. To where, like, I could actually understand mm -hmm. what's happening to me mm -hmm. now, and and that was the logistics of in the day that I was exonerated. Oh, that was the best day ever. That brick, that thousand pound brick, was finally off my back. You see me when I walked into yeah, the I saw the clip and you know the first thing I wanted to do was hug my mom, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what I did, and. The lady that actually identified me was there, the lady's husband. Mm -hmm. 
you know, she was she was there, the, the lady was there and cops was surrounding this woman like she was the girl at Fort Knox or something. Mm -hmm. She had about 20 officers around her. And I'm like, are y'all still protecting this woman knowing that this was a drug dealer woman? Right. This woman was not innocent. Right. But at court, the prosecutor pointed, you know, said that her it made her and her husband look like they were Michelle and, and Barack Obama. Oh, this was their summer home. This was a dope house. Right. This was a crap trap house. Right. This was a dope deal that went exactly, south. Exactly. And you telling me this is a summer home, but their regular home was at a Howard Johnson motel. And I'm like, what does that make sense? So as I'm getting ready to leave, she stands up. I walk over there too. I was like, look. I forgive you. I said, nah, I ain't telling you. Oh, okay. Nah, I, ain't telling <laughs> I thought shit. you was going to say nah, something inspirational. I try to be the bigger person. I told her, like, look, we all we all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. We all understand what we need to do to correct our mistake. But if you ever be put in this position again, do not let police officers make your decision for you. Make your decision for yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're not 100% sure this person didn't commit this crime against you. Don't say he did because they take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm gonna leave you with today. And I walked out and that was the end of that. Now, let me ask you this because I did yeah. see, I, I think it was, a, a no, I read something, I not saw it. So I read an article someone did about you and they talked about you actually meeting the guy who committed the crime yeah and, yeah, and you yeah. went into prison, prison. and yeah. you met him yeah. and they were like did you shake his hand was it so for me i'm just wondering because i, I see both sides of it like right. the the bigger person side is right. listen i'm happy you finally came through right. and took your charge right. and got me out but then right. the other side is right. like screw you because right. you knew right. that i've been locked up for 13 right. years for something that you did so right. of course you went to the petty side right. Right. but tell us about that because i, uh, I that think that's was, something ooh, that was a that was that was a moment mm -hmm. because now you're going to be locked up in the room with a guy that took 13 years away mm -hmm. from your life and you know and i look, and, and also to remind right. people you had nothing to, to do with know. this. Like this wasn't. We were in a crew, right. and I was I was in the bag, or right. I was driving the car. And we you no, had no, no clue. So no yeah, clue. so your petty yeah. on this side made it's way more yeah. sense. Exactly. <laughs> so when um, when I walked in, you know, I told him like, you know, you destroyed my life. Mm -hmm. You know, you took you know me away from my kids, and they didn't deserve it. You know, I told him, you know, I can forgive, but I can't forget. I told him, you know, I don't like you. Mm -hmm. I think you're a coward. You know, because you could have came out sooner and said you did this, but you didn't. But at the end of the day, I get to leave here, jump in my Mercedes S550, drive home, and eat me a $50 steak with potatoes and all the dressings and fixing, and now you got to go back to your cell dressed in all white, wondering what's on the menu for you to eat. Mm -hmm. Now take that with you because I'm a free man and I'm going to walk out and you still incarcerated. So now the officer pulls me to the side that's in the room. He said, look, I'll give you 10 minutes with this guy. He said, I'm going to go out and lock the door. Whatever you want to do, do it. I, he's like, I don't care. Right. 
He said, for me listening, what happened to you? Right. He said, dude, I would give you this pleasure. Mm -hmm. I said, nah, that ain't what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for closure. Right. And this is my closure. Me, you know, having a conversation with him, showing I'm the bigger man, mm -hmm. but also I'm going to be real petty with you. Right. You know what I mean? I'm going to let you know what I'm mm -hmm. going to go jump into, what I'm going to go eat, mm -hmm. and you already see how well I'm dressed. So now, it, you know, it's not an issue. Right. You yeah. think you took my life, but I, I have, I have yeah. it back, but now right. your life is gone. Right. Now your life has You've been destroyed. You've your time. Yeah. Right. You know, but. So he had to start. He didn't get no time. So he, they gave him immunity, and he didn't have to do no time. In a, in a guy that actually pulled the trigger, he got five years, and he didn't do none of that five because they suspended his sentence and let him walk free. So you, the only one that did Me time. Me and was the only one that did time for that crime. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. So okay, so. How did you decide, like you said, now you, you, you were, when you were in prison, right. you were like, okay, so now we have a thing to do now, right. who's going to make a change or whatever. Right. So how did you decide that you were going to do that? And not only that, but what I ask people, because I know that when people listen to my show, I always try to give them the tools where they can do things right. because I, I see things or I hear stuff and I didn't know something was a thing until right. I hear someone else talking right. about it. Right. Or I didn't know that you could even do that or that, right. how did you even figure that right. out? So right. I always ask that because someone might be like, oh shoot, I'm affected by that. Or right. so how did so, you get so, that? So where it all started from, waking up every morning in prison, knowing you're innocent. Mm -hmm. But every time you walk outside your prison bar, another person that looks like you is saying the same exact mm -hmm. same thing. So what I told myself was, man, I want to help other people that's in this position that can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. I said, look, I'm going to get out and start my organization called House of Renewed Hope. And I was like, the prison was my house. Mm -hmm. But all at the same time, I had the hope, mm -hmm. you know, that something like this would happen to see, make, let me see a better day. So that's how I came up with the House of Renewed Hope because we needed that renewed sense of energy you know to you know make sure you know it pushes us along the way and i was like man i'm gonna start investigating cases of men and women that was wrongly convicted so i had to go to school i went to uta the same school that exonerated me me and all, all the three men that uh, two men you see in the documentary we got our private investigative license so i was like okay now we legal now we can actually go out and seek and find these people that was wrongfully convicted so what did I do? Everybody that was a part of my exoneration, I brought them on board from the attorney, the prosecutor, the investigator, all of us work on cases together. So I was like, who better to get to assist you than people that actually created this thing mm -hmm. and know what it takes to get men and, and know women. that it, how exactly. to get the job done, exactly. basically, and knowing, right. and knowing what it takes to get right. men and women, you know, exonerated, yeah. Okay, okay. So, I I guess what uh, my last question is because I I love your story. I love I love that and and I always say for anyone, sometimes you don't know your purpose in life. Right. And I'm going right. to tell you, sometimes you find out a shitty way. Right. Like yeah, you're just you like, do. you know what, Lord? Now, you could have just sent me some right, other right, side. You didn't right. have to do all but of this. It's <laughs> crazy, but don't you know that they had, you know, my mom 
was real religious people, the whole family. This was predestined that I was going to go through this already. When I was six years old, I met my auntie's house, mm -hmm. running through the house, and they having a prayer meeting. And the head prayer master told me to stop. And he said, hey, I just felt something. I want to pray for you. And I'm like, what? And then I look at my mama. She's like, boy, you better let them in pray for you. <laughs> right. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to tell you why. He said, you ran through, I felt a spirit hitting you. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to go through something so trying, so terrible, that the only thing that's going to get you out of it is the faith you have in God. Being six years old, seven you're, years old, you're just like, I'm yeah, running okay, around right. and I'm, I'm, I'm just doing my thing. Right. So now it's like 17 years later. Mm -hmm. That pastor's son told me the same exact thing. My dad's funeral. His son is, you know, doing a sermon. And I walked through the house. And he tell me, like, hey, come here, son. I'm like, what's going on? He was like, I just felt something. I need to pray for you. And it's crazy. Soon as he said that, here come my mom. Coming right. around the corner. And... I'm like, what you mean? He's like, I want to pray for you. Mm -hmm. And then he told me the exact same thing. You're going to go through something so trying and so terrible. The only thing that's going to get you out is the faith you have in God. And I want to pray for you. We had hand. That man told me, I want to see you in church Sunday. I said, I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. He said, no, be there. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to try my best. He said, because I want to tell the congregation what I feel. And you being a young man, that this is something that we really need to take, you know, take mm -hmm. serious. I ain't go to church. Two weeks later, I'm in jail for Capital Girl. So now I'm, and this is where really everything changed for me. My mom wrote me. I'm in prison maybe four years, five years, maybe a little longer. And she said, "Don't you remember what Brother Wortham and his son told you?" Mm -hmm. And I didn't even remember. Mm -hmm. And she had it at the bottom. She said, you're going to go through something so trying and so terrible. Faith you had, only thing you're going to get you out of faith you have in God. I was, everything came back to me right. like they said it yesterday. Right. And her little message at the bottom was like, remember this. God said, have the faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. Mm -hmm. He said, it may not move mountains for you, but it's going to move them prison bars. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're doing in prison, leave it alone, stop it, and give your life to God. And once I read that letter, everything in my life changed. And I was home, you know, years mm -hmm. later. I was like, wow, that's crazy for somebody to predict right. this was going to happen. And it happened. But that's why I say God only let me out and let me, uh, you know, let me go. And he found out my heart was in the right place. Mm -hmm. And he knew I really wanted to help people it that was in change, this position. It changed that yeah. we needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how can people that are listening support you and your cause and and do you have social media? Yeah, handles? I have a, okay. a House of Renewed Hope Facebook page. I'm on it H Renewed Hope on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, I have a House of Renewed Hope also Facebook page, Twitter page, so they can find me there. Or you can go to www.houseofrenewedhope.org. That's like a website of mine. You can go there. It has, you know, I take interns. If you want to intern with the organization, if you want to donate to the organization, because the last DNA test I paid for was 12 grand. Mm. And come to find out the guy actually did it. So that was a waste of $12,000. You know what I mean? Mm. So those are the type of things that we need because you look at DNA tests, 
they go anywhere from 10 to 50 grand. Mm. Even like polygraph tests, they anywhere from 1,500 to five grand. Mm. So, you know, mm -hmm. I done paid for like two polygraph tests mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, it's a lot of money, you right. know, that goes into it, but I just feel like God gave me another chance at life. He gave me, you know, this income mm -hmm. where I can afford to try to help other people that, you know, it comes out of my pocket sometimes and sometimes we get donations enough to, you know, pay for things. Right, at least yeah. offset the cost. For okay, sure. all right, good. So you can support, obviously, monetarily, right. and then also always looking for laborers that mm -hmm. can help. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that's good. Looking for somebody to run my my social media platform and everything. Okay. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, because that's where you got, that's why I was like, you have yeah. some social media handles because, mm -hmm. Even, even you know, having Instagram and, right. and like you said, Twitter, right. mm -hmm. that reaches so much further. People. Yeah. yeah, because people can share those stories, share those yeah. clips. That's why I said, even for, for us, I want to make sure we have some clips right. Right. that we can share on, you know, or people mm -hmm. can share on my page and right. sharing your story right. and how you're making the change. And go to Exoneration Nation Podcast. It's on YouTube. It's on Spotify and Amazon Music and listen to all the incredible interviews I've done with judges, prosecutors, DAs, and state representatives. Okay, all right. So anything that you're working on right now? Yeah, like a, a, a case I'm working on now where I was wrongly convicted for 34 years, he ended up making parole. Mm. But once he made parole, we picked up his case and they wanted fingerprints analysis did. We did the fingerprints, came back, not him. So now we're looking for one key witness in this case, and we found that key witness, and in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to go talk to her, and if it, everything goes right, that man will be exonerated, hopefully, before the summer is out. Okay, I love that, I love that. And so, I know I've said before, when I talk to someone, but the difference between exonerated and paroled is... Totally different. Mm -hmm. When you get exonerated, you just get kicked out of prison. It's no support system there. You don't have a parole officer. You don't get the 50 bucks. They don't allow, they don't help you search for jobs like parole officers do. They don't try to place you in housing or anything like that. Being exonerated is just like, hey, we sorry for the mistake we made. Go out and fend for yourself until we find out you're actually innocent. <laughs> right. We can try to get you compensated. It's a totally big difference. Okay. Yeah. So that that right there coming out, not being around for right. like you said, thirty years. Right. The whole world has changed in thirty years, yes, and, and you have no support system. So right. okay, just want to make sure we define that so right. people knew what what that was because right. they're like, oh, all right, right. whatever. Well, you get. Don't right. you have a halfway house to go to? Right. No, you have no, nothing. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> you better be happy you have some, some loved one still alive, you know, to be able to take care of you mm -hmm. and, and help you, you know, in your time of need. And I just, I close with this. If you ever be called to be on a jury panel, do not ever pass it up. Because just your one vote alone can stop an innocent man or woman from going to prison or worse yet, going to death row. Mm. That's good closing. That's, that's so, okay, so y'all stop lying like me when they no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christopher, yeah, I'm going to use, yeah, I'm going to exactly. go next I got, time. <laughs> I got to make sure I call y'all out on that, man, because that's so detrimental. Mm -hmm. Just imagine if I had at least one African-American person on my jury panel. 
Right. Because mine had to be a unanimous decision. Mm -hmm. If it was one person said no, it's a hung, dreary, nasty mm -hmm. mistrial. Right. Yeah. All right. So that is Christopher Scott, you guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yes, it. Yes. Thank care. you. All right. Appreciate it. That's so great. Oh my thank God. You. you got me about to cry and stuff. Oh, 